When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Caesar, don't you dance on my floor? Roll that whiskey and go. Caesar, what you looking for? Listeners and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. You're listening to a clip of Caesar Knows, an indie folk song by Oliver Hazard, a group from Waterville, Ohio. Oliver Hazard is our feature musical artist this week, so stick around to the end of the podcast. We'll tell you a little bit more about them and let you hear the rest of that song. But right now, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. Let's dig up a new Ohio mystery. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our award-winning journalist, Paula Schleiss, who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories for the Akron Beacon Journal. Hi, everyone. Well, Steve, if I say the heyday of serial killers, what decade would you think of? Uh, 70s? 70s, 80s, yeah. Well, it wouldn't surprise me to learn that tonight's case may yet prove to be another chapter in that book. There are a few victims in the story, so I'm going to go slow and hope you don't get confused. But the main subject of our story is an unsolved murder from 1977 in Cincinnati, a case that police in the Queen City keep reopening, hoping for a break that will help them solve it. Her name was Nancy Ann Theobald, and she was an 18-year-old freshman just two months into her first year at the University of Cincinnati. Nancy was a petite brunette with blue eyes, her innocent smile and round cheeks, sometimes making her look even younger than she was. But Nancy was a young woman with a promising future. At Indian Hill High School, where she graduated, she had been a member of the National Honor Society and had spent an entire year studying in France as an American Field Service exchange student. In the fall of 77, she had been accepted into the University of Cincinnati's honors program to study French. Her parents, Jerry and Camille Theobald, had just moved to Florida, where her father opened an animal clinic in Pompano Beach. He used to be a veterinarian for the Cincinnati Zoo, and Nancy's boyfriend was in California. But she wasn't alone. She lived with her brother and sister in an apartment near the UC campus. Nancy helped support herself with a part-time job at Arby's in Clifton. That's a neighborhood on the city's north central end. She'd taken the job that October. On November 16, 1977, Nancy left work just before 11 p.m. to walk home. 
The restaurant was on Calhoun Street. She lived on Deckerbox Street, about three-quarters of a mile away. She was dressed in blue corduroy slacks, tan suede ankle boots, and a red, white, and blue plaid blouse beneath a pullover sweater, all topped by a gray overcoat. She carried in her arms her Arby's uniform. Nancy didn't make it home that night. That was a bit of a jaunt for a young girl that late at night. Usually someone at the restaurant gave her a ride or she'd call her siblings to pick her up, but that night her siblings weren't home. Her brother Michael had been the last to leave the apartment. He guessed he'd stepped out about five minutes before Nancy's shift had ended. Maybe she called right after she clocked out and she missed me, Michael told a reporter with the Cincinnati Inquirer. I guess she decided to walk. Michael described his sister as smart and studious, but with a playful side. She's a real straight kid, he said. One of those A students that would party on the weekend, but mostly she was a pretty straight kid. Nancy's mother said Nancy was independent and reliable, an achiever who thrived on school and work. And so authorities quickly ruled out the idea of Nancy leaving her family behind voluntarily. She had no car, not even a driver's license. She took nothing with her, and the most she would have had in her pocket was ten bucks. But Nancy had vanished without a trace. And for more than a month, her family had to live with the agony of not knowing what had happened to her. Part of this mystery ended on December 27. About 2.30 p.m. that Monday, Farmer Clyde Rapp in neighboring Butler County found a body frozen into the mud of a creek bed on his Westchester Township property. This was in the 6,000 block of Beckett Road. Authorities had to dig the body out of the ground. The face had been mutilated, presumably by animals. But pretty early on, deputies thought they'd probably found Nancy Theobald. She met the description of the missing girl down to the turquoise ring on her right hand. Dental records eventually confirmed it. The autopsy had to be delayed for two days until the body had thawed. The Butler County coroner ruled the cause of death a strangulation. Nancy had a knotted rope tied around her neck. One account I read suggested her arms were bound. Some stories said she was partially nude. Others said she was fully clothed. I did not find any story that said she was sexually assaulted. Detectives were still interviewing many, many people in this case, but they couldn't help but wonder if Nancy had been the victim of a serial killer. At the time of her death, Hamilton and surrounding counties had a dozen unsolved homicides from the previous three years, all of them young women who had been violently killed and then disposed of, mostly in creeks and riverbeds. Nancy was actually the second body found off Beckett Road. Three years earlier, in 1974, the beaten and strangled body of 15-year-old Cynthia Beerline of Springdale was discovered in a ditch along the road in another unsolved homicide case. Within 24 hours of Nancy Theobald's death, police had in custody a man who was responsible for some of those dozen cases, though they didn't immediately know it. 
get this, Claremont County authorities had picked up Larry Ralston, a 19-year-old from the Cincinnati suburb of Norwood, to face charges of raping three 15-year-old girls. To the complete and utter surprise of the police officer that was transporting him to jail, Ralston broke down in the backseat of the cruiser, crying, saying he didn't mean to kill any of them. Kill? Nobody had accused Ralston of killing anyone. But Ralston just kept talking. And by the time he was done, he admitted to five murders. Linda K. Harmon, nabbed when the 17-year-old was waiting for a bus. Nancy Grimsby, 23, who disappeared on her way to visit her boyfriend. Elena Bear, a 15-year-old attacked and left in a creek bed. Diana McCroby, a 17-year-old who once dated the man who had killed her. And Mary Hopkins, a 21-year-old from Cincinnati's East End. In each case, Ralston said he offered the women rides, drove around with them while drinking wine and smoking marijuana, and then strangled them when they rejected his sexual advances. And then this little creepy detail. After every murder, he would play the song Fly Like an Eagle, and it would lift him up and make him feel better about what he had done. Unfortunately, Ralston was not the man who killed Nancy Ann Theobald. The day he was arrested and began his tearful confession was November 15, 1977. Nancy vanished the day after that. Ralston might have been in custody, but as Nancy's murder proved, someone else was at work in the same area. In March of 1978, that's four months after Nancy was killed, two more women disappeared. The body of 17-year-old Charmaine Stola was found on the northern edge of Hamilton County. The remains of Cheryl Thompson, like Nancy, a University of Cincinnati student, was found lying along the banks of the Little Miami River in Loveland. A year after that, in 1979, yet another one, 18-year-old Sandra Holgrief, was found discarded along a creek near Harrison. As far as I could tell, the murders of Charmaine Stola, Cheryl Thompson, and Sandra Holgrief are still unsolved. But police did catch up to the killer, of Cynthia Beerline. If you'll recall, I mentioned that less than three years before Nancy's body was found off Beckett Road, another body had been disposed of there. Well, it took a while, but police figured out 32 years later, the killer was a man named James Kraft. When police caught up with him, he was already serving time in the shotgun death of his estranged wife. He was convicted and given a life sentence. Meanwhile, Nancy Anthiabald is still waiting for justice. In 2000, the cold case was reexamined. Butler County authorities said they had a suspect in mind and they were waiting to question him. The sheriff also acknowledged that they were still considering the possibility that Nancy's killing was connected to one or more of the other cases from Butler and Hamilton counties that went all the way into 1982. But they stopped short of elaborating. In 2018, the case was pulled off the shelf again. At that time, detectives said they were submitting old evidence to more advanced testings. They had fiber, hair, and DNA evidence 
from under Nancy's fingernails. But two years later, we are still waiting for word. Anyone with information in this case is invited to call detectives at 513-785-1300 or Crime Stoppers at 513-352-3040. Well, this is part of the program where we invite an Ohio mystery listener to be our armchair detective. Let's bring her on board. Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world from forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Well, tonight joining us is Lindsay Federico from Elyria, Ohio. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, Paula. Hey, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I am a stay-at-home mom of two kids. I live in Elyria, Ohio, and I mean, that's pretty much it. <laughs> well, that's good. probably enough to keep you busy uh, oh, yeah. every day of the week. Especially now that schools are closed. So what did you think about this case, Lindsay, overall? Well, something definitely was going on in uh, that area in the 70s. I mean, when you go through it and you find... I mean, you just kind of read through everything. You just kind of have to think to yourself, there has to have been a serial killer or a lot of copycats going on down there. Because it's just like I was going through and I was like, there's just so many women that were, you know, were murdered. And it's just you have to think there was there had to have been someone that, you know, was a serial killer going on down there. Well, we know that there were least three killers at work because they arrested the one guy for five murders. Yeah. They 
know that he didn't kill Nancy because they arrested yeah. him the day before Nancy disappeared. So Nancy's is a different killer. And right. then in the Cynthia Burline case, they were able to make an arrest for somebody in that single case. Yeah, from 1974, yeah. And in that case, you know, he picked her up. I'm like, is that really the only person he did that to? I'm wondering if he turned out to be a serial killer and we just don't know his other victims yet. So now we've got three men at work in that same area at that same time. It's crazy trying to sort through them. It really is, and, and I was just watching a, a documentary yesterday on Netflix. Uh, they were talking, talking about um, serial killers and their, their motives, and they said, you know, a lot of them will stick to the same pattern, so it's hard to kind of find if each victim is from the same or is it from a copycat, and I think that's kind of what's going on in these cases because when I was looking through, I found three other cases that could also possibly have been – this killer of Nancy, or maybe it could have been, you know, Cynthia, uh, Cynthia's killer as well. Right. So, I mean, it's just, there had to have been someone there. I think that they, there just had to have been, there's no other explanation. You know, I was 18 in 1978. I was 17 in 1977 when Nancy was killed. And sometimes I look back and I wonder how I survived because the, you the know 70s what? It, just was a horrible decade. I know. And it's, it's um, so I actually lived uh, just outside of Cincinnati when I was 19. I lived in a small little town called Taylor Mill, Kentucky. I mean, you could take a bus right through to Cincinnati because that's how close they are. They're right over the... Uh, right across you know, the river. They are. And I used to take rides all the time from people when I was 19. And I would just, they would stop and they're like, you need a ride? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, this is the early 2000s. Oh, my gosh. And I know I have a daughter now. And, oh, I would never let her do that. But at the time, I think a lot of these girls, you know, don't think it could happen to them. I never thought that. And that's why I was willing to take rides from people, even as late as 11 o'clock at night. That's a, that's a function of age because when I was younger, <laughs> I gave rights to hitchhikers when I was going uh-huh. to college. And now I look back and I'm like, you idiot. I what know. I, I tell myself, I tell my husband that all the time. I said, I don't know how I survived some of these. I was picked up one time at 11 or so at night. I, you know, had gone out for a walk at 11 o'clock at night. Now I won't even, once it's dark, I won't even go outside now. But, you know, you never think when you're getting into the car with a, a male that you don't know, that Man. nothing bad would happen. And Edmund Kemper would have loved you, too. Oh, yeah. I'm telling yeah. you, I I don't know how. And it wasn't the first. I did it so many times. And I, when I was researching this case, I told my husband, I was like, I, when I lived down there, I thought it was so idyllic. It was just, I thought it was a perfect little area. And then you're going through and you're like, oh, my goodness, because I lived right outside of Covington. And you're like, oh, my God, you're reading all these murders that happened to young women. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I did not know where I was. And I was really uninformed. And I think, unfortunately, again, that's also due to age as well. If I were the mother of a teenage girl, I would be making her listen to every Ohio Mysteries episode. I'm telling you. Oh, my daughter, when, she gets, in. when my daughter gets older, I'm like, you can never. You're going to have to listen. To all, I'm going to have rules. Like, you can't 
can't don't even look at anyone put your headphones in don't even look at them don't make eye contact yeah don't make eye contact Uh, do you feel pretty certain that nancy was killed by a stranger i mean the great majority of murders obviously come from somebody you know and often somebody that you love um but does it seem like everything in this case points to a stranger it does i think so i know in 2000 uh, it just passed the 20-year mark um, they had actually reopened her case, uh, Sheriff Harold Gabbard. I, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but he reopened her case, um, and he actually linked it to two others, uh, Victoria Hincher and Tammy King, and they were all found in the same area, and he did say that there are a lot of similarities in those three cases. Uh, tells me they were probably the acts of a serial killer. So I think... Even then, I think in the 70s and then 20 years ago and now, I think they know she was abducted and that it was the work of a serial killer. And I just think that they're trying to figure out how to solve this now um, so many years later. Well, I know they haven't stopped. Thank God the law enforcement agencies in Butler and Hamilton County have keep bringing this out and looking at it again and again. So I'm so glad they haven't stopped. You know, in 2018, they said that they had fiber, hair, and DNA evidence from under Nancy's fingernails and that they had sent it off to be tested. And that was two years ago. Is Mm. that, we haven't heard anything since. Do you think that's an indication that they didn't find, that that's going to be a dead end? Or do you think there's still time for that act from two years ago to bring forth something, you know, helpful. Yeah, I think it's either, it could be two things, either, you know, they don't have enough. I, you know, I was reading that sometimes they have to have more of a sample than what they have um, to get like a good match or the killer might not be in the system either from having passed before, you know, he was caught doing any other crimes or he just managed to hide his trail pretty good. Um, I do think that I'm hoping what happens with that is kind of in the way of what's going on with like the Golden State Killer and some of these other ones through, I think that's probably the best way is through genetic, you know, genealogy. Right. The familial, yeah. Right. So, I mean, I think, I honestly think they just probably haven't, he's not in the system. Um, Oh, man. Unfortunately, yeah. How does somebody get away with, you know, all of that and not end up in the system for something? But it happens all the time. It really does. I know that I was, when I was looking at this case, um, they had actually, in 2017, Boone County, which is just over the Ohio River into Kentucky, like it's right on the the border there. Um, They were looking into an unsolved case in Boone County, and they, they managed to link it to another case that you know um but the detective for that case said that there are a number of similarities with the number of cases in cincinnati and northern kentucky so it's it a part of me thinks that they're still working on this and you know i think that they know that there's a serial killer and i think that they're working to hopefully find him 
That's another challenge in these kinds of cases, especially back in the 70s. I think today law enforcement's probably a little bit better about Mm -hmm. collaborating with other agencies. But back in the 70s, you've got, you know, Butler County next to Hamilton County, murders happening in both. How well are they communicating? And not just within the state, but then Cincinnati obviously is just right across the river from Kentucky. Now -hmm. you've got another state that you want to collaborate with. And that kind of thing just didn't happen back in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, like that case that uh, from Boone County, he was working on a case from Boone County. They ended up solving a case from Kenton County, which was right next to it. And then he's looking into cases that are similar in, in Cincinnati. So it's like you got two states, you've got at least three counties, and it's it's difficult. And, yeah, they don't really you know, communicated back in the 70s, and now it's just trying to piece all these together if they are from a serial killer or if they're just some copycats. I think, unfortunately for Nancy, I I think it's definitely a serial killer. I don't, yeah. I, can't, I don't think there's any way that you can say it wasn't, unfortunately. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be anything to suggest that she would have known her killer. Just that yeah. one short walk, you know, it was like less than a mile. A mile's really not that far. It's really it's just not. so hard to believe you can't walk a mile and not make it. It's so sad. I know. It really is. And I feel so bad for her her poor family as well, you know, going all these years without any answers. You like to think that um, justice can be served. And unfortunately, when you go so long without it, it's, it's difficult. Absolutely. All right. Is there anything else in your notes I, sh- I should bring up? Um. I mean, not. I mean, the only. I unfortunately with this case, I found so many women. They said like back in like by 1978, there was 13 women that had been killed in that area. Yeah, and all very similar. Um, they were killed like, similarly, left in similar places. Mm-hmm. And like I know that in March or March of 1978, in the 1978, Charmaine Stola and Cheryl Thompson were found, and then in 1979, Sandra Holdgrave, I don't think I'm pronouncing it right. Holdgrave. Sandra Holdgrave was found, um, and they were all found strangled. Um, they were all found nude or partially nude. Um, and then you have one in 1976, Linda Dyer was found. You know, she was also, you know, strangled and stabbed. And it's just like, oh, my goodness, these poor women. And she was found, and her, uh, Charmaine and Linda were found less than two miles from each other, um, about a mile south of Butler County, which is the same county Nancy was found in. Right. So it's like, th- this has to be someone connected. They they're connected, unfortunately. Right. And, you know, I think the oldest case I found was from 1982, and that was the oldest. The most one was from... The, the 70s, the mid to late 70s. Yeah, the 19, there was a 1974 case that was on um, Beckett Road, like Nancy. Mm-hmm. I think 74 might have been the oldest one that I saw. So like roughly 74 to 82, yeah. at least three killers in that area at work. Yeah. And I know that gentleman that they found from Kenton County, he was actually convicted in November. Well, they're actually waiting to get him to a drain grand jury in November of 2019, he was um, charged with just rape. He actually let the girl go, but he lived in Cincinnati in the 70s. His, he had a job that required him to drive around, 
And he admitted to the woman that he had killed other people in other states. In our episode about Angela Hicks, her stepfather was arrested technically for a rape, not a murder, because they had been able to tie his DNA to a very old rape case. But that's what led them to discover these murders. So, you know, there's... These serial killers obviously often have an escalation to their pattern, and they're Mm going to start out as something less. Yeah. I know that Michael Dean Tate, he was, his case was actually, he was only found from a fingerprint. They had saved a fingerprint from his rape case, and that's what he's been charged with. And the detectives that filed the charges for him said they were actually looking into another case in Boone County when they stumbled upon the rape case from Kenton County and that they were able to make the arrest for him. And then they refused to say what cases they're actually looking into, but they said the cases with Michael Dean Tate are very similar to the unsolved cases from Boone County and into Cincinnati, but they're still working on it. They won't say what those cases are. And this was just in November of 2019. So it hasn't been that long about that he was even captured. So it's like, well, he lived in Cincinnati in the 70s, and he, you know, admitted to killing another woman. He was caught for raping a woman. He kidnapped her, took her to another spot. So, you know, unfortunately, I think time, you know, with that case, unfortunately, we just have to wait for investigators to uh, put everything together. But we'll we'll have to keep an eye out for that name. Oh, definitely. You know, it's... I think we live in a fascinating time right now. I think in my lifetime, before I'm done, I'm going to see a lot of these 1970s and 80s cases solved. And that uh, makes my heart smile. I hope so. I really do. Because even though, you know, as you were doing, as we're doing research for this, you don't find much. Like, I I really am into, like, unsolved murders, things like that. And you don't see a lot of cases. Like, when I, you gave me this name and I started looking, I never heard of it before. I never even knew of anything in that area. Even when I lived down there, I didn't hear of anything going, you know, that was, had happened. And, you know, I think some people think, oh, well, you know, it's been over 40 years, you know, it's, but they're still, they just still deserve justice. You know, they were, their lives were taken away from them at such short ages and they had family. Their families need to know. Their families need to know. Their communities need to know. It's definitely, and they shouldn't get away with it, no matter what age they are. So I'm really glad that a lot of these cases are being solved. And I hope it hinders people now, because, you know, technology is only getting better. Absolutely. So if cases can be solved from the 70s, it, it, there's almost no doubt they're going to be solved now in 2020. Right. I hear that all the time from law enforcement. Boy, if this case had happened today, we would have knocked it out in a week. Right. And I think, unfortunately, with the 70s, you know, a lot of kids that age... I think they kind of, and you see it so many cases when you read through it, you know, police unfortunately say, oh, well, she was, she could have been a runaway and they don't investigate it right away. And then again, they don't know about DNA. You know, you hear about the lucky cases where the investigators had the foresight to save DNA, but that didn't happen in a lot of cases. Yeah, you know, it was definitely a free-spirited generation and a (laughs) free-spirited time. And I, part of me understands, you know, when the police are like, oh, this is the you know, hundredth kid Mm -hmm. that's being reported this week. Which ones do I take serious? Which ones are out just smoking marijuana with their friends and they'll show up later? You know, I get that. I get that. It's it's just so hard to know the right thing to do. I mean, there was a great case out of Akron. I'm great in terms of, you know, being a very interesting mystery. 
where the family kept telling the police she's not a runaway. And that very week, they had had like a hundred, a hundred missing kids oh, reported, and, she, and they were all runaways except this yeah. one girl. And it's like, how do you know that that's the right. one? You know, really right? I tough. think that she was the one that was just found in in Strongsville. That Casey Blake. Yeah, her her bones were found in a cemetery. Um, yeah. She, uh, uncovered by an amateur sleuth who was doing some geneal- genealogical research and came across these yeah. bones and says, how come nobody knows who these bones belong to? And figured out it was this girl who, until then, was just a missing person, not a murder mm-hmm. victim. So yeah. I think, yeah, and I think that has happened, unfortunately, with the, like, um, you know, one of the girls that I looked into, uh, Linda Dyer, she was a hitchhiker you know she hit and I think that was more open you know back in the 70s hitchhiking and she was a hitchhiker and I think a lot of the uh, police in that time were just like well she's she'll be back you know and unfortunately just time gets away from them and then they don't realize it I have to say I don't see many hitchhikers anymore Oh gosh, no. I even up here, um, I, there was some guy and he's like waving his arms and I told my husband, I was like, I am not stopping. No, thank you. It's 2020. He probably has a cell phone. No. And it, it was nighttime. It was, I was like, I refuse. He's like, you probably need help. I'm like, not for me. I do. I'm now, now that I'm in my thirties, I will, you know, obviously back when I was 19, I did it. You know, I, right. I take rides with people all the time, but now... Well, like you said, we didn't have cell phones back then. And if you weren't near a payphone or didn't have money for a payphone, you were like kind of stranded unless you did. Oh, yeah, I know. I just, no. So now I will not, if I see, no, I will not do it. No, (laughs) no. Teach those girls. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us tonight. You are welcome. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for tonight, campers. Stop by our website, ohiomysteries.com, for photos, links, news clippings, and more on this and every Ohio Mystery episode. You'll also find on our website a list of the Ohio musical artists we featured. And tonight, we're adding a new one. Yes, that would be Oliver Hazard. Sounds like a guy, but it's actually three buddies, Michael, Griffin, and Devin. The band was started after one of the boys came home from leading camping trips in California, and he recruited his childhood friends a door-to-door salesman, and a construction worker into making an album. They won a Facebook raffle to record their debut album, 34 North River, and started playing at some major festivals, including Bonnaroo, Mountain Jam, and Americana Fest. And they're still making beautiful music together. So look for them on your favorite social media site or go to their website, ollihazard.com. That's O-L-I hazard.com to keep up with what they've got going on. Well, how about a listen to Caesar Knows by Oliver Hazard. Turn up the volume, get that toe tapping, and we'll see you back here next week for another Ohio Mystery.
Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.